Hello again, Gospel Fellowship, Pastor David here. Uh, this is the second of a three-video or three-recording series on the 70 weeks prophecy in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, if this is the first one that you're listening to, you're going to want to stop this video or stop this recording and listen to the first one where I describe some of what was going on when Gabriel speaks to Daniel in terms of 70 weeks. We understood that. Uh, to be a kind of tenfold jubilee period where he's reminding Daniel that his ultimate hope is not simply the people of God being restored out of 70 years of exile, but the ultimate hope of God's people comes at the end of a kind of tenfold jubilee when the Lord puts it, brings an end to sin. He brings eternal righteousness. He anoints a dwelling place where God can be with his people and his people can be with him. We are on the second part of a three-recording uh, series uh, looking at the 70 weeks prophecy. To begin, I'm going to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And then our main, uh, our main uh, focus today is going to be on the two main subjects of this prophecy. The two main subjects of this prophecy, um, I understand them to be a person and a place, the two main subjects, and we'll consider what happens to those two main subjects. But first, let's read this text. You're going to want to have a Bible with you. Uh, last time you needed a Bible because we were turning around to a few different texts. This one you're going to need a Bible uh, because there are some difficult things that happen in the text itself that I need you to be able to see on the printed page in front of you. So if you have that with you, that will be immensely helpful. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This is the word of God. Seventy weeks, again, Gabriel is speaking to Daniel, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. We looked at that for the most part last time. So here's the new section we're going to consider. Now there, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Our focus, again, uh, for our time now is on the two main subjects in this prophecy. But before we get to what those two main subjects are, we need to deal with what is a difficulty in translation. Uh, look again at verse uh, 25. Uh, you recall that this is, uh, uh, this is the, the 70 weeks that are decreed, and the 70 weeks are actually broken up into, we learn today, 
are broken up into three segments. There is a seven-week period we learn in uh, first half of 25, and then it describes a 62-week period towards the end of 25 and the beginning of 26. And then finally, at the end uh, in 27, we learn about a one-week period. So here are seven plus 62, that gives us 69, and then one more week that gives us 70. So the 70 weeks are divided into three segments, 7, 62, and 1. Now, the difficulty in translation has to do with how do you relate the 7 weeks and the 62 weeks. Uh, let me draw your attention to how it's translated in the ESV, which is what I just read from. Uh, look again at verse 25. It says, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So let's deal with this first part. Uh, from the going out of a word to restore and build Jerusalem. Probably what this is referring to is what's known as the decree of Cyrus. You can read about this in the very beginning of the book of Ezra, where Cyrus tells the people of God uh, that they can return to the land and begin the construction of the temple and then eventually also the city. Uh, this is the decree of Cyrus. Here is the, the command that is given to restore and build Jerusalem. He's linking together temple and city. So closely are they related to each other uh, that this is probably what is being referred to. But the real question that we want to think about is what is this period of time then until an anointed one, a prince, shall come? As it's translated in the ESV, we're told that there will be seven weeks. And then the next sentence begins with 62 weeks during which uh, the city will be built. And then after 62 weeks, then we also learn about an anointed one who shall be cut off. So the way it's translated here it gives the impression of the decree of Cyrus given, seven week, a seven-week period, then there's an anointed one, and then there's a 62-week period during which the, the place is, uh, has been built. And then after the 62 period, then we also learn about an anointed one being cut off, and then more is described after that. That is one way to translate it, where you have the first seven weeks go with the coming of the anointed one. And then after that, there is a 62 weeks that describes what happens to the city. Now, the Hebrew that's being translated here is a little bit difficult to work with. It's a very simple construction, but the question has to do with whether or not the seven weeks is to be joined with the 62 weeks or whether the way that the 62 weeks are introduced actually introduces a new sentence. So the two ways to translate it are this. First of all, what I read. Or the second is what you probably have in a footnote in your Bible if you're using the ESV. And it's something along these lines. Um, that uh, from the time of this decree to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It shall be built again, or the city shall be built again, etc., but in a troubled time, and then after the 62 weeks. So, let me break it down. The alternative to translation, and this is what I think is actually more faithful to the text, the alternative 
uh, is something along these lines, that the anointed one comes after the period not only of seven weeks, but the anointed one comes after seven weeks and 62 weeks. So after seven weeks and 62 weeks, an anointed one comes, and the city shall be built for uh, uh, this, and the city shall be built again, but in a troubled time. And then after that 62 week period, that second segment, after, then the anointed one is cut off, and then we learn about the city and sanctuary being destroyed. Now we're going to talk in a moment about why. Uh, the 69-week period is divided into two segments. It's interesting that that happens, uh, but I do think the more faithful way to understand it is that it is a single period of 69 years divided into two parts, 7 and 62, and then you have an anointed one who comes. And the simple reason, at least for right now, the simple reason why I think that's the case is the reference to an anointed one. The most natural way to read this is to understand that there is a single anointed one that Gabriel has in mind. From the going out of the decree until the coming out of, of an anointed one, there is seven weeks and 62 weeks. And then, af and then after the 62 weeks, the anointed one is cut off, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So let's consider this anointed one. First of all, we learn in verse 25, that this is an anointed one who is also a prince. The idea of anointing has to do with a kind of priestly anointing that was already introduced for us in verse 24, where Gabriel talked about the anointing of a most holy place. That is a priestly kind of anointing uh, that is some of the context for the anointed one who comes. Uh, but this is not only a priestly figure that's described, but one who is both priestly and kingly in terms of his function and office. So he's described as a prince. Um, oftentimes this is something that is separated between two different figures, but in this particular figure it's joined together. Um, now I hope this does not come, uh, this may not come as a surprise to you, uh, but this is where I think we have the first clear reference to Jesus Christ himself. He was of the tribe of Judah, the same tribe from which David came, King David. Um, and so here is one who comes as a king, but he is not only a king, but he is a priest of the most holy place of heaven itself. And he has a right to both of those things, even though he's not from the ordinary priestly tribe of Levi, he has a right to those things because he is himself the son of God, the eternal son of God. He alone comes as both priest and king, for his people. And what happens to this anointed one? Well, after the seven and 62 week period, 69 weeks as figured here, the anointed one comes. And then we learn in verse 62, after the 62 weeks, after that second segment, an anointed one shall be cut off and have and shall have nothing. Here is one who is cut off, what seems to be a clear reference uh, to the death of an anointed one, the death of this priestly figure. The idea is someone who is cut off from the land of the living. His life is cut off. He is cut off from life, and he, in fact, dies. Now, this would be surprising uh, for Daniel to hear, because ordinarily, when a king comes, 
It would be for the purpose of bringing restoration, of bringing conquest, of bringing victory, perhaps even bringing a restored building of the place. But here, the anointed one that he's waiting for, that brings the fullness of the promises to the people of God, to his people, is an anointed one who comes to be cut off in his death. Now that that provides some important context for what comes Next, look again what happens to this anointed figure, or rather what this anointed priest king does. Verse 27, I believe the subject of this sentence is the anointed one. Uh, We're told this, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Many commentators Uh, Notice here, contrary to what is often seen as a kind of dispensational interpretation of this passage, many commentators recognize that the language that's translated here does not allude to or does not give the impression that a new covenant is being made. It's not really the making of a covenant, but more the idea of causing a covenant to prevail, or more literally, causing it to be strong or confirming a covenant. The idea is a covenant has already been made, and the covenant that has been made is uh, comes to be powerfully effective in some way. So here is an anointed figure who is cut off in his death and has nothing. And then we learn in verse 27, as a kind of climax to the 70 weeks, he causes the covenant to be powerfully effective uh, for his people. Now, it's interesting if we try to bring the language together, uh, because the covenant idea has already been introduced before verse 27, uh, even in the language of him being cut off. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with this, uh, but it is uh, is a common way in Old Testament Hebrew, a common way to describe the making of a covenant is to use the words that a covenant was cut. It is the cutting of a covenant that causes a covenant to actually be made. Let me show you two places where this is the case. The first is Genesis 15 verse 18. Uh, This is where the Lord himself, uh, after very graphically uh, having Abram uh, cut animals and divide them so that on, uh, on either side of a kind of pathway, and the Lord himself goes through the divided, the cut animals, uh, he then says in Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Uh, the Hebrew is more literally the Lord cut a covenant. It's, it's the verb karat. He cut a covenant with Abram. That's the same word used to describe what happens to the anointed one when he is cut off. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 Uh, 23 says something very uh, similarly, and again, this is all throughout the Old Testament. Not every time there's a reference to a making of a covenant, but many times. This is kind of a a Hebrew idiom, uh, you could say, that refers to uh, uh, the the various aspects of a covenant and even the threat of uh, of covenant disobedience and being cut off. Deuteronomy 4.23 says this, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. More literally, the covenant of the Lord your God, which he cut 
with you. Again, the language of cutting, especially in context of describing a covenant, uh, refers to the covenant being made. Uh, the summary uh, for Daniel, Daniel 9 is this, that in the anointed one's death, a covenant is made. In his being cut off, a covenant is cut, and it is that covenant in his blood which he causes to be effective in the climactic week of the 70 weeks decreed as Gabriel describes them. In other words, the giving of ultimate blessings to the people of God, the making an end to sin, the bringing of righteousness, the anointing of a place, the fulfilling of prophecy, all those things that Gabriel described in verse 24 come to the people of God by way of an anointed one being cut off, a covenant being made in his death, and the covenant being powerfully effective for many. That's the point that Gabriel is getting at with this anointed uh, figure, the priest king who comes. Now, in terms of what Daniel could understand, many of these things that we've described, of course, he, he lived before the coming of Jesus Christ, but many of the things that we've described, Daniel will be able to piece together in terms of the covenantal significance of what's going on. But the good news that I've described, uh, that a covenant would be made, it would be powerfully effective, it brings such rich and great blessings to the people of God, would have been so important for Daniel to hear, for him to know and to believe this good news, because the other main subject that Gabriel describes would have been so troubling to Daniel. It would have been so troubling to hear. The first main subject we've just talked about is this anointed figure, this priest king who is cut off and makes a covenant. But the second main subject of the 70 weeks prophecy is the holy city, Jerusalem. And what comes to Jerusalem would have been troubling to Daniel. Let's consider this second main, uh, second main subject and we're going to begin with actually looking at why the first 69-year period is divided into two segments. You remember, again, uh, how we described there was the seven, seven weeks and 62 weeks. The seven and 62, rather than just saying 69, it divides into two segments. Now, why is that the case? Well, probably, excuse me, probably the first seven-week period is to indicate the time when the, when the temple city has been rebuilt. So let me look at this with you. Um, uh, from the time of the going out of the word to restore and build to the coming of an anointed one. I'm going to read it as I, I think a, a better translation is here. To the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And then after the 62 weeks, the anointed one's cut off, and then the place is destroyed. So here's what we have. Um, the anointed one comes after the 7 and 62. And during the 62-week peri period, the place has been built. It is built again with uh, uh, with the various features that are described. So when was the building finished? Well, I think that's where we have the allusion to the, to the finishing of the building of this place in the seven-week period. How so? Well, if you remember from our look at Leviticus chapter 25, uh, what happens after a seven-week period? A week, a group of seven years, brings you to a Sabbath rest, 
If you group seven groups of seven, or other, in other words, seven weeks of years, that brings you to a year of jubilee. And what's the significance of a year of jubilee? It is the proclaiming liberty to the people, and the people are restored to their land inheritance. This is a way of Gabriel saying, here will be a jubilee period until the people of God are brought back to what is their covenantal land inheritance in the rebuilt city and temple. Uh, it's a reference to the finishing of this work. Uh, and surprisingly, at least from Daniel's perspective, surprisingly, what Daniel had been praying for in the restoring of the people of God to the land, God restoring even the fortunes of his people, of the city, and of the temple, is merely the introduction of the 70-week period. It happens after a jubilee, then there is a long stretch of history in, during which this place is built, but then what happens next? And this is what is so significant. It is built for 62 weeks. Uh, it, is, it has been built then for 62 weeks, though in a troubled time. But after an anointed one comes, rather than being the one who, who simply uh, would preserve and protect and maintain this rebuilt city temple, what we learn is this in verse 26, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Upon the coming of an anointed one, what happens later, what is coordinated with this in terms of the holy city, it is to be destroyed. Desolations are decreed, we're told here. Now, for those of you who are familiar with some of what is written in the New Testament, you know that this is precisely the kind of thing that Jesus himself even prophesied. In Matthew chapter 24, we don't have time to look at it now, Matthew 24, Luke, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21, all three of those passages uh, are uh, in, in, including uh, both Jesus describing what is, what is the still future coming of the Son of Man from our perspective. He also describes the destroying of the holy city Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, this is what Jesus foretold, and it was foretold even here that coordinated with the coming priest king, Jesus himself, what will happen uh, to the holy city Jerusalem and the temple. It will be destroyed. It would have been uh, bewildering for Daniel to hear this, but it was crucial for him to know because of the significance of who this anointed one was. He is the one who brings the fullness of God's promises. The ultimate hope of God's people does not lie in this place, the holy city Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, or its temple, but rather it will be destroyed. Your hope lies in a different Place. There's probably a reference to this as well. I'll probably mention this in the next video. There's a reference to this as well, uh, where it describes what is an end to sacrifice and offering in verse 27. Now, before closing out this video, I want to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 10. I did not have a time, did not have time to look at this uh, in the sermon uh, the other night. If you were with us in the evening pavilion service. Uh, so if you were here, uh, if you were with us then and you're listening now, 
this is uh, this is bonus. Uh, you get some of uh, some of the extra uh, benefits uh, from watching the video online here. So Isaiah chapter ten, verses twenty through twenty three, and a few things I want you to listen for. First of all, uh, you are going to notice as I read this text uh, that there are a number of different uh, verbal or kind of word. Uh, 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 words that are used that remind us of what we've just read in Daniel 9. And it's one indication that this text is probably in the background in terms of what Gabriel is saying and what Gabriel even expects that Daniel would know um, as he is giving this 70-week prophecy. And one, uh, one comment, I'm going to get to a point where, it's, uh, where it talks about the mighty God and it's worth recognizing, we can't quite see it in English, um, but the Hebrew word that is translated in Daniel 9, that he will make a strong covenant uh, with many, he causes something to be strong, it is the Hebrew verb gavar. And in our text, in uh, this text, Isaiah 10, uh, when we get to the point where it says mighty God, the Hebrew behind that is El, which means God, Givor, mighty. So Gavar, caused to be strong, and Givor, mighty. This is the same root word that is used in talking about what is strong and powerful. Another indication that this is a divine covenant that is described in Daniel 9. But with that in mind, let me read this, and I want you to notice how strong the similarity is between the words used in these two texts. Isaiah 10, verses 20 through 23. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them. That is, they will not lean on Egypt, they will not lean on Assyria, etc. They will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God, El Gavor, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Now, I'll let you on your own time put these two passages side by side and see how many words, how many similar words you see in one passage uh, compared to the other. Uh, it's very clearly in the background uh, of Daniel 9. But what I want you to notice is this, that the promise that God makes in Isaiah 10 is that here will be the promise of salvation that comes to a remnant, even as judgment also comes. Here is blessing and judgment that comes as the fulfillment of God's covenant. And to what does the remnant return? They return not merely to the land and city, but most, uh, most centrally in terms of the, the, the essence and substance of God's covenant with his people, we learn in verse 21 that a remnant returns to the mighty God. They return to El Gavor. They return to him, not to the place. That's the point. That's what Gabriel holds out to Daniel. 
An anointed one will come. He will cause a strong covenant to prevail, a covenant that was cut in his blood. He fulfills the promises of God towards his people, and they will have uh, the great hope of their God himself through Jesus Christ. This is what Gabriel holds out to Daniel. This was the second of three videos. The last one, I think, will be relatively short uh, compared to these other two. Um, and I just want to highlight in that third video uh, some of the reasons why uh, this is a significant and important, pro an important prophecy for us even today. Uh, hope you can catch the last video, and uh, thanks a lot.